Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 15th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We begin today's programme once again with the veil of secrecy that surrounds closing down the emergency department in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. A review of that decision to close the emergency department is into its fourth week, but... Nobody appears to know what's going on or won't say what is going on if they actually do know what is going on. The job the review team is tasked with will be spelled out in the terms of reference for the review. And just to remind you, the Department of Health told Minister Helen McEntee that those terms of reference were to be published last week. But that didn't happen. On Friday, the department said the terms of reference will be published shortly. Let's speak to Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin TD for me the East. And a very good morning to you, Darren O'Rourke, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. There's obviously a lot of concern about the future of uh, the emergency department. Uh, I think that's uh, something that goes without saying when you see 7,000 people march in support of keeping the unit open. Uh, What are are people uh, saying uh, about the current situation, or are people concerned at all, do you think? I think they are, Michael, and, and and understandably so. I think they are offended by the approach taken by the minister and by the government and by the by the HSE. Um, the fact that that they are withholding this information and not make, making it publicly uh, available, um, so so they're offended by that. But also, they're deeply suspicious by a, a process. Um, you know, so so a lot of people will say to me, and, and very many people are contacting me and, and my colleagues in relation to this. And what they will say is that it's it's a done deal, that the you know the review is just a rubber stamp that is going to deliver on uh, you know the intention of it is to deliver on what the the HSC had intended at the outset. And you know that's uh, uh, deeply concerning. It reflects the the lack of transparency, the lack of of accountability, uh, as we we've seen in recent weeks. And you know it's it's a uh, 
it's deeply problematic for, for anybody um, who has the, the best interests of the health of the people of County Mead at, at heart and who who, um, uh, who 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 really want to see the type of, of uh, uh, positive change for the county to ensure that the, the you know that services are are at a, at, a, at a really high standard. Yeah. Um, it, it it really uh, speaks to that issue of you know uh, um, the the lack of transparency and accountability and uh, the kind of belligerence that that has been uh, a feature of so much of the the HSE and successive governments' approaches in relation to to Navan Hospital. Yeah, um, it's, it's very hard. Uh, to argue that it's not a, a done deal uh, because we don't know uh, what it, it is being done. Uh, nobody knows anything about this review. Well, I, well, it's actually a, a, a perfect example of how not to do things, uh, Michael, and in my opinion, regardless mm. of... I want to separate your position, and I've always, you know, you know my position in relation to Navan Hospital, but regardless of your position in relation to the future of Navan Hospital, this is a perfect example of how not to ensure that people have, have a confidence in this review or this report. It, you know, to, to be completely uh, secret in relation to it, to not share mm-hmm. the information, to, to not give the details of the terms of reference, to, to run the review at least halfway through before yeah. the terms of reference are made available. Um, from, you know, from a, from a purely cynical point of view, from my perspective as an opposition politician, so this is like a, a gift do you know um, if 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 we wanted to play that game, and I certainly don't, and I never never did, and never will, Michael, in relation to to Navan Hospital. But if I wanted to, this is this is exactly what you'd be looking for. You but know, it, as you say, it, it is regardless of your position on the hospital itself. And let's say you were one of uh, the medics, because the medics are very concerned. They've made that clear to everyone. And if you felt that it was in the best interest of people to close the emergency department, I'm sure you'd want to see the terms of this review as much as anybody else to make sure that this wasn't going to be some way of getting out of closing it down uh, because of parish pump politics or or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, And on the other hand, you want to keep it open. You want to see the terms of the review. Uh, As you say, it it is regardless of your position. No, absolutely. What what would, like, the approach... The approach that the HSE and the government and, and, and Minister Donnelly are taking in relation to this review only serves to undermine the very purpose of, of that review. That's that's the thing I would say at this stage. You can you can practically say whatever the outcome of this review, its credibility has been deeply undermined by the approach that the HSE have, have taken thus far. And that's you know leads to an honest suspicion on behalf of people who are who are listening to this and who are thinking about you know the efforts that they have made to, to maintain services at, at Navan Hospital. So, but that's a that's been a feature of the HSE's approach and successive government's approach, not just in Navan, Michael, but in other places around the country. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it does really lend to that, um, to, you know, it adds to that suspicion and to, the, to the, the really earnestly held opinions that people have that it doesn't matter what the rights and wrongs in relation to, 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 to this issue, it doesn't matter what the, the clinical case is, um, what matters is what the HSE want to do, and they're going to drive that agenda regardless. And mm. you know, uh, and and what what you want, you know, in if, 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 to be fair to people, what you want is transparency and accountability. And if the case, my argument, it, it, like I, 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 and and that of Sinn Féin, our argument is 
that the HSE's approach here will make matters worse and that an alternative solution, investment and enhancement of services in Navan Hospital, will make matters better, will address the concerns that are there. Mm. But we don't see, we have no indication that the review that's, that's ongoing will, will in any way... Um, OK, but, but, but in lieu of that investment or in lieu of the time... Uh, that you would need in order to uh, bring uh, the hospital up to par with what would be considered to be a safe level of service. The medics believe that uh, the ED should close for reasons of patient safety. It's a, a duty of care that they feel that they have to the people. And they've made that position very clear. Stephen Donnelly hasn't made his position very clear, but Uh, It seems as though he has uh, the opinion that it should close once it's safe to do so because he's heard of concerns from Drogheda and elsewhere. Uh, But uh, the Minister doesn't appear to be doing very much, not publicly uh, at least. Uh, And we had another government minister, as you very well know, Helen McEntee, speaking to us on the programme over a week ago, uh, who doesn't appear to be able to get... Uh, sufficient information from somebody sitting at the cabinet table with her, from the Minister for Health. It is a completely bizarre situation, is it not? No, it, it absolutely is. It's com- you know, it's it's. Uh, I know there's been there's been famous incidences in, in in politics in the past where where things just do not make sense at all, and it's very frustrating for those, whether in the political opposition or or or, or in the media or elsewhere, or certainly the general public who are looking in, who are trying to. You know, who, who don't understand why why you know uh, logic is turned on its head, um, where cabinet ministers who literally sit beside each other at the cabinet table can't uh, um, share information or, or make information publicly available about decisions that, about decisions they have to take responsibility for, and it's not just that they should or anything like that. Uh, there's a constitutional obligation on every member of the cabinet, every minister, to stand over every government decision. No, absolutely. And, and to make that point again, Michael, mm. um, Minister, Minister Donnelly is the Minister for Health and he has overall responsibility in relation to this. But our, you know, as the people of County Mead, um, our access to Cabinet and to Government is through our, our, our Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael TDs in County Mead. They are members of those parties. They are, you know, some of them sit at the Cabinet table. Uh, all of them are, are ministers in so, some shape or form. So, so you know, they they are accountable to us and, mm. and, and need to be accountable and, and, you know, need to be agitating to ensure that this information is made available. I'll make this point as well, Michael, mm. though, in terms of the of the review. On the front page of the national newspapers today are, uh, is information in relation to the, the, the future of the National Ambulance Service mm. and deep concerns about the ability of that service to, 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 to meet the, yeah. the agreed standards. And that, that's, you know, we're told... From, from Minister McEntee that that is part of the, the review that's ongoing. We, we don't know the detail of it, but again, I'm going to make that point. If, if the HSE, um, I, I, see, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for the HSE to stand over their proposal when the National Ambulance Service is really, really struggling, yeah. and that's going to be a central pillar of any sort of reform. How do, you get, how do you get to Drogheda if there isn't an ambulance to bring it? Exactly. That's the, that's the, you know, they have, and, and, and that's been our concern. That was our concern on the 13th of June, uh, Michael, when we met the, the, the HSE and, and the Department of Health, was that their plan had so many holes in, it in terms of the capacity at Raha, the, the capacity within general practice, mm. the capacity within the National Ambulance Service, and there's been a big red flag put up in relation to capacity in general practice, particularly out of ours in, in Mead, and now we have a major red flag 
in relation to the National Ambulance Service, saying they are, they are not fit to deal with current capacity, uh, with, with, uh, with current demands, uh, never mind future demands or changing demands into the future. OK, uh, do you think that uh, this may be an approach uh, that's hopes will wear people out, that people will just be fed up and tired of the whole thing by the time they get around to making the decision? Well, it may very well be that. It may also, you know, all we can do here is speculate. One thing, and I've said it before, regardless of of, uh, of the personalities involved, um, I just see a, a complete mismanagement of this whole process by by the minister, by Minister Donnelly in particular, by by government and uh, by the HSE to a lesser extent. They, you know, they have been curtailed. Uh, they've been gagged at certain stages. They've been determined in delivering uh, the, the, the wrong answer in my opinion but they've been they've been consistent in their approach um, uh, Minister Donnelly I think has just mismanaged this and, and the 13th of June was was an example of that you know getting in having a conversation mm-hmm. and then at the end of it um, doing, a, doing, a, doing a U-turn pause followed by, by another pause delay followed by delay mm-hmm. and really um, it's, it's, it's a government you know it's, it's Minister Donnelly mismanaging the situation you know in, in, in a way that is you know reflects yeah. really really badly on him I, I have to say. Uh, and Stephen Donnelly called that meeting in Dublin it has to be uh, said not, not, not in County Meath I thought it was uh, quite interesting that it was held in Dublin. Uh, Fianna Fáil um, public representatives were saying before that meeting was called that they expected the media to have been invited the media wasn't invited uh, there was um, a press briefing afterwards given by the HSE and reporters weren't allowed to ask questions. Yeah. Uh, no, I beg your pardon, they weren't allowed to record it, um, that, uh, if I remember correctly, just to uh, uh, clarify that. Uh, and I- I'm not sure what has happened since the 13th of June. There was a Sinn Féin private member's motion, I think, on the 21st of June. But I don't think Stephen Donnelly has been in Meath uh, throughout all of this, has he? Not, not, not that I know of. Um, not that I know of, and, and, and so, you know, he's been completely absent uh, in terms of of any form of of leadership. And I don't know if that's what we're seeing from from Minister McEntee in terms of frustration with that. But I, I would again make the point that you know, ultimately, they are the people who are accountable. And um, you know, I don't hear from from government TDs uh, any great criticism of the the current approach. Approach I hear frustration, but really. You know, we need to get these answers. Um, we need, uh, you know, uh, when you look at the, the information in relation to the National Amb- Ambulance Service, we need clarification in relation to that. How has that mm. been incorporated, that new information? How has that been incorporated into this review? How will a- account of that be be be, uh, uh, be made for? And, you know, I, I think it, it, it really does behove our, our local TDs, um, ministers, McEntee, Bourne and English, um, to, to come out publicly on this, I know I've called on uh, my colleague David Colnan and, and Johnny Gork. We're working to, to 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 escalate this as as much as we can to try and secure uh, time with with uh, with the HSE or with Minister Donnelly or whoever um, to to try and and get clarity in relation to this. I'm sure others are are, are doing the same um, in the political arena in, in County Meath, but. Ultimately, um, we, we need to see answers in in relation to it. And, and to say that, to make that point again, I think the, the the management of this whole situation by Minister Donnelly has really undermined um, the, the 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 approach that they, they are taking, and under, undermined, in my opinion, any review or anything that comes out of of, of this exercise. 
Right. You don't have any confidence in this review, do you? Absolutely not. Do you think it's taking place, by the way? I don't know. Have you spoken to anybody who's met somebody uh, who's carrying out a review of what was decided? No, I, I haven't. No, I, I have. I, I, this literally could be anything. You know, I, I've, I've, I've wondered about that, Michael. Um, I think we could come back, you know, here in the next number of, of weeks that, um, you know, the, term, the terms of reference had been drafted and then agreed and then disagreed and redrafted and redrafted and actually that the, the review um, is, is only getting underway um, and that we've spent the last number of weeks um uh, f- fussing over nothing um, and I think you know uh, 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 time will tell if, if that is the case but um, it's it's just an absolutely um, it's no way to do politics it's no way to do government and it's it's pathetic on behalf of this government I have to say OK, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Me The East, Darren O'Rourke. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing in uh, the bulletins uh, this morning, the National Council for the Blind in Ireland is launching its annual Clear Our Paths campaign today. And let's hear more about it. June Tinsley, Head of Advocacy and Communications with NCBI, is on the line. A very good morning, June. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, and I suppose uh, it's to point out some of the things that we're all looking at every day, but maybe we don't see them in the same way that somebody... Uh, sees them in terms of them being obstacles if uh, they have uh, problems with their vision. Very much so, yeah. As you rightly said, NCBI is launching our annual Clear Our Paths campaign and it's basically aimed at informing and educating people of the effects that these temporary obstacles can have when you're blind or vision impaired. And by temporary obstacles, I mean things like cars parked on footpaths, um, dog fouling, overhanging branches, freely being bins not being pushed back against in, into the driveway or um, pedestrianised streets and the um, outdoor dining furniture not being clearly cordoned off. All those kind of things, which, as you rightly say, mm. are an everyday occurrence, but for people who are blind or vision impaired can pose an obstruction or in some case an injury. Um, and it's just to a shout out to, to people to have these conversations and to be a bit more alert and tuned in to the um, implications of these obstacles. Yeah, and I take it uh, for uh, the most of these things, um, they're unintentional. People don't think that it, it could be an obstacle to somebody because it could be very obvious, like a, a branch hanging out uh, over the street. Oh, 100%. Uh, and as I said, it, it's really, um, as I said, a, a public awareness campaign to sow the seed in people's head to be a bit more proactive and conscious um, of of their everyday behaviour and how it could actually impact on someone who's blind or vision impaired. Mm. If you um, park up on a footpath to run into get something in a shop, um, you might not consider the fact that that now means an individual who's blind or vision impaired has to walk out onto the road and mm. what that individual, what that risk can mean to the individual. Or if there's an overhanging branch, it could potentially scrape their face or um, worse, um, injure their their, fa- their face or eyes. Mm. Um, and again, it's just something that people should be, should be should be aware of. Wheelie bins are often a, 
an everyday occurrence as the bins are emptied every week. But it's to urge people to, to pull their bins back into their driveway as, as soon as they're emptied so they don't are, aren't strewn across a footpath. Yeah. And it's nearly like a, an obstacle course trying to get through. Right, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure uh, it would leave you very anxious. Uh, you'd get an awful fright if you walked into something like that when you weren't uh, expecting it. Uh, there is this other problem uh, of people not picking up our, after their dogs. Uh, and uh, County Meath, one of uh, 11 counties in the country uh, where no fines were issued last year. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, and in uh, Laos, the nine fines were issued, um, which was an increase from three the previous year. So the numbers are very low. Um, and as you said, Meath is, is one of many where no fines were, were issued. So I suppose um, it, it's a clear indication that lack of enforcement really isn't a, a threat <laughs> to picking up after your dog. So it, it really behoves every dog owner to actually be more proactive in this space. If you can imagine um, uh, someone who is blind or vision impaired using a cane and going out and about in your daily business and then running your cane through a, a pile of dog fowl, it's just so unhygienic and, and disgusting yeah. um, that it's just been a little more mindful of, of the imp- implications of these things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's not just canes, it's wheelchairs, it's shoes, exactly. it's uh, concern about children. And I think most people know that. And I, I think yeah. the vast majority of people pick up after their dogs. Uh, but there is a, a small few who don't. And it only takes a small few to make an almighty mess. And I'm not sure that you're ever going to change their minds. Um, should there be better enforcement? Well, I mean, we know that some county councils, particularly Kerry, have been very, very proactive in enforcement. Um, they went from zero fines up to 31. Um, so they're, they're literally on a, on a campaign to um, remind dog owners to be more proactive. Um, I, I think enforcement does play a role, but really it's kind of personal behaviour and management towards your dogs is, is so crucially important. Mm. Um, and as you rightly say, the vast bulk of dog owners are exceptionally diligent and pick up um, but I, I do feel that we're targeting that small minority mm. who um, are, are not considering the implications. Yeah, and I, I've spoken to some who think there's nothing wrong with it, that it's just na- na- nature, it's just natural that dogs do this and um, that's the way it's always been. It, it'll uh, compost it, it itself or the rain will wash it away. There's no need to pick it up. And yes, it is natural that obviously dogs need to do that. Um, but I suppose it, it, it's not natural for someone who has a, a cane to have to clean up it off their hands directly afterwards um, because they can't see mm. that the, the dog foul is, is in front of them. Um, and I suppose in that regard, it's not the dog owner isn't being considerate to the, the implications of, of of human interaction with it. Mm. Not only is it unhygienic, but it, it's, it can pose health risks as well yeah. um, to certain individuals. So um, it's just a question of being more, more considerate. Yeah, well, I've spoken to others who just couldn't give a damn. <laughs> they have no consideration. Well, I suppose we're we're urging them yeah. <laughs> to, mm. to, to think outside well, the box. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think if you were fined, you, you, you might think a, a, again a second time. €150, Euro, I think, is uh, the fine, or you could be brought to court and have to pay €4,000. And the local authorities, the county councils, quite often say, uh, there's very little we can do about it. Uh, but uh, as you say, in Kerry, uh, they decided to take a, a proactive approach and they've seen a huge improvement there. Uh, it couldn't be that difficult to police it, could it? Well, I suppose the the challenge for the the dog enforcers um, is that they literally need to 
see the see it in action yeah. <laughs> because um, you're not going to be able to d- notice exactly who who whose dog that it comes from. Mm. But so do do a street a day. Pe- pe- you know, people tend to walk their dogs on the same streets. They've their walk, uh, and they take the same route every day. Uh, and you do one street uh, at a, a time uh, for a whole day, you're bound to come across every dog owner who walks that street. And you'll see the ones who pick up and the ones who don't. And eventually you get to every street, would you not? I suppose it's a question of resources, really, Michael, as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. county councils, are, are they going to put the, the resources into um, p- policing it to this extent? I don't know. Um, mm. And as you can see, the numbers are quite low on the number of fines being issued. Yeah. Maybe they are to constant repeat offenders, I'm not sure. Um, but I suppose the, the show yeah. that we're doing is to make sure that is uh, people's behaviour changes as much mm. as um, recognising that enforcement does play a role. OK, but let's say you had one person doing that job and they were to find two people a day, €300 Euro a, a day, uh, over a period of time, um, that certainly would be worthwhile, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I can see the benefits to it. And certainly, as I said, Kerry County Council, uh, although it's an, an outlier in the, this year's statistics, it, it's reaping the benefits, not mm. only financially for Kerry, um, but also just in terms of um, I- improving the, the streetscape in that area mm. for people who are blind or vision impaired and, and for everybody else. Mm. Um, and it, it, they have been proactive. Um, not all the other county councils have been. Uh, so I think it, it is a striking balance between education and enforcement. Mm. But it, it's our street, it's our town, uh, it, it's uh, the place most of us want to have pride in. And if there's a few destroying it, surely if uh, there is the will to do this uh, and a focus on it, then something could be done about it. Um, yes, something could be done about it. And mm. the, the, how that comes about is through the combination of mm. local mm. authorities enforcing it. Yeah. Um, and well, neighbours, even peer pressure. And I suppose one of the things we, we put up on the website is trying to in, encourage people to have conversations about it mm. um, and uh, either neighbours or friends or whatever um, uh, having conversations uh, recognising the challenges that these temporary obstacles face for people who are blind or vision impaired mm-hmm. um, and nearly calling each other out on it because we can all be active bystanders without actually realising that having a parked car on a footpath causes issues for people to get out onto the road then or if it's um, if you're availing about to our dining furniture, making sure that you put mm-hmm. your shopping bags and things like that under the table so they don't tro- pose a trip hazard for individuals. Um, as that, it's just yeah. the details up on our website can kind of spur these conversations. Absolutely, yeah, and there's no doubt about it. And uh, there's many people who just hadn't thought of it before, and maybe after hearing you this morning, they'll put their shopping bag in off the footpath so that somebody doesn't trip over it because they can't see it or cut a branch back, as the case may be. Or, or perhaps there are people who really hadn't thought about uh, the issues uh, that are, are caused by not cleaning up after their dogs, and maybe they'll start to do that today. Uh, time will tell, uh, but as you say, you've started this conversation and you actually have a, a special website for it as well, June. Yeah, all the details are on our own website, ncbi.ie, um, and there's I suppose, pointers and tips and um, guidance for people on how to start these kind of awkward conversations um, and just encouraging people to to participate in this public awareness campaign that we run every year. Okay, thank you indeed, Uh, as always. June Tinsley, Head of Advocacy and Communications with NCBI, that's the National Council for the Blind in Ireland. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. House prices uh, continue to rise. They're not rising quite uh, as fast as uh, they were in recent months, but uh, they continue to rise. And uh, the rise in prices on top of rises in prices have seen prices boom almost to the highest level ever, just uh, below the highest level uh, in uh, the Celtic Tiger days, 1.3% below nationally. Uh, We are looking at very expensive uh, property in this country. David Hall is uh, the CEO of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association and co-founder of iCare Housing. Good morning to you, David, uh, and thank you Michael. indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. I, I take it it's the usual supply and demand uh, feature that's driving these prices up. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible situation to think that we've um, come full circle within 10 years and we're back to the stage. We're just on the verge of Celtic Tiger prices, which obviously, you know, sounds great. And people people psychologically, you know, like the value of their homes being high. It's not real money. Um, it's paper money. It's it's, a, it's hypothetical. But when it goes wrong, it becomes really, really problematic. And I think um, people, you know, have a big issue with housing at the moment. It is one of the greatest um, social challenges we have. And I think we have a perfect storm with a supply and demand challenge. We have a bureaucratic process, a bureaucratic system. We have the Land Development Agency. Like when, when, when a Taoiseach of a country has to publicly state to, that its own councils are not handing over land to a statutory body set up to try and alleviate this problem fast enough, hmm. you really have to wonder, will this ever get resolved? So when you take a big, bold step to set up the Land Development Agency, you instruct local councils to hand over land to the Land Development Agency in order for them to allow properties and houses to be built. And the teacher of the country, the minister, has to warn the councils in relation to not moving it across. It's just, it's more than just supply and demand, Michael. Mm, and we've a president who's <laughs> described the housing situation in the country as uh, disastrous. Well, he, he spoke the truth, and, and I know it was an uncomfortable political situation um, for him to have made those uh, comments in, in the manner he did. But ultimately, I think uh, Michael D and our, our president, and he is our president, you know, sometimes you just need that little voice. You need that little sensible voice somewhere along the line. Not commentators and, and, and advocates like myself, but others who mm. carry a lot more weight, a lot more significant weight, a lot more trust with many people, including people, by the way, who are not affected by the housing crisis. And part of the challenge is we have a lot of people who are housed. We have a lot of mortgages paid off. We have a lot of people not in debt. And those people, correctly so, have paid their way and done their bit. But now we have a situation where we really have a challenge. And it's really a political issue when it starts mm. moving up the classes. It moves away from the standard poor people who are normally under pressure and starts affecting other households and other income families. That's where it comes up on the political agenda much, much faster. Yeah, well, the cost of, of renting is through the roof as well. And if you've to come up with 1500 a month, as you would on average locally, or 2000 in Dublin a month, you've very little wriggle room for saving. And we are talking about generation rent who will never be able to afford to these expensive houses, I take it. Oh, completely. But the part of the challenge, actually, the rent. Rent is a very interesting topic because, uh, you know, only recently are people engaging properly about rental. Rental, when we make comparisons as an alternative to owning homes, isn't actually the, an honest conversation because our rental system and our rental regime is different to what it is in Europe. In Europe, you can get a 20 and a 25 year and a 30 year rental agreement from your landlord, be it a private landlord or be it a residential uh, landlord a company, whichever it might be. Here it's all ad hoc, Michael. So many people's obsession about owning a property and owning a house here and it being bigger and better and different to renting is because of our infrastructure from a bureaucratic perspective and our contractual tenant agreement system is not the same as Europe. And, you know, it's very hard for somebody to be paying €1,500 Euros a month, €2,000 Euros a month, 
um, and half the price, half the properties that were available for rent are available now with with private landlords exiting the market. You know, versus the residential larger. Um, vulture fund type bodies who have more complex tax structures that most certainly benefit them and until we address all of these issues and like you know it's so frustrating to be having this conversation this is not something that just arose this is being presented as something that's just an immediate crisis uh, uh ukrainian friends who've arrived over now are being blamed for part of this moment this was and has been an absolute mess for over 10 years mm. and something that's not been ever addressed properly and and can be addressed properly we've had report after report programme for government after programme for government and unfortunately this just stalled and at the end of it are people's uh, you know mental health their housing situation their you know in economy um, and many people's futures at stake in relation to this being dealt with properly. Right, there's a, a proposal that's being flagged at the moment. Uh, the Sunday Times reported yesterday that both landlords and tenants could be given a tax credit in uh, the budget next month uh, because of the crisis. But the paper was uh, saying that if a landlord agrees to a five or ten year lease, uh, similar to what you were saying happens in Europe, uh, that they'd be given uh, this tax credit based on the term of the lease, the length of the lease. A very good idea and something sensible, something practical to start trying to come up with new solutions. And unfortunately, we, we have a slightly obsessive compulsive disorder in Ireland in relation to uh, we're anti landlord and um, we're anti um, anybody who seems to be making us and, and wanting to make us. We need landlords in this country in order to house uh, everybody. Um, we can't do it ourselves. The state has failed abysmally in relation to being able to do it. They rely on, uh, you know, I care housing and other approved housing bodies to deliver a huge amount of homes, which they do deliver. But alone, we can't do that. It requires a collective. It requires a combination. And there needs to be an understanding. And I think the the current Minister, Dara O'Brien, has that understanding. And I think some of the suggestions, some of the um, proposals brought forward have been good. They've not moved fast enough, but that's a bureaucratic process. That's not actually a ministerial issue. That's a bureaucratic process. But you're right, this is an emergency. Mm. And we we fail to recognise that this is an emergency that is lasting longer, will last longer than covid ever did. And we need to come up with creative ideas and we need to ensure that we don't alienate a sector of, of society like landlords and we don't alienate people and, and, and criticise them too much because we rely upon them. We need them to help us. But I think a good idea, the longer the lease, the bigger the rewards should be impacted so people have certainty. Because when you don't have certainty, Michael, or when you've gotten notice to quit, you've got notice to say the landlord is, is selling on his property, mm. then you obsess about trying to find out for the next three months, is he really selling the property? rather than actually getting yourself sorted and then you unfortunately fall between two stools. So I think we have to have good tenants yeah. and good landlords. But it, but, but if he isn't selling the property, um, to, there has to be a very good reason to serve a notice to quit. And you can't just move people out like that. In reality, uh, leases in this country should be very long term, should they not? They should be, and they're not. And uh, you know, people can just take a lease for 12 months. And if you look on, on daft.ie or on my home.ie, you'll see the minimum term is 12 months. Yeah, but your tenancy rights, though, uh, would give you... Um... Oh, yeah, you do. You've got good rights. The rights are there. Mm. Um, the difficulty is you don't, not enough houses to execute the rights. And mm. that's, the, that's the biggest challenge of all. And your first question is the, is the key part of mm. this is supply and demand. And now we've got a situation, really serious situation, which a number of the papers have reported on the last few months that we've experienced directly with developers. Why would a developer engage in a process to build a house without knowing whether David or Michael or Mary or Jim or Joe is going to be able to have the funds in two years' time to pay for that. Mm -hmm. And all of the costs that associated that and the funding of that in the meantime. So I believe there's a genuine slowing down of the building of properties because um, developers will take the prudent approach in the current environment where the state should step in and guarantee those properties now, Mm. keep the flow going.
Okay, uh, but just on that issue of long-term leases, if after 12 months uh, your landlord doesn't renew your lease, uh, well, then uh, that's it. The landlord can't rent that property out to anybody, can they? No, but I think, you know, uh, you know, there are a couple of conditions they can do it. They can do it for renovation. They can do it for selling the property. And I think there have been a number of challenges by tenants. Look, you're going to have mm. a handful of, of cowboys, both tenants and okay. uh, landlords. You're going to have that. You're going to have a few chances where the property prices have gone up in recent mm. times. People will pretend they're going to sell. Some will sell and want to cash in. But mm. the problem here, the genuine problem, Michael, is many small landlords are actually selling. If okay. you look at the evidence... Well, the and that's probably to do with the house prices. Uh, they went up by 15.1% in March, 14.5% in April, 14.4% in May, 14.1% in June. Uh, you'd have to assume that they're going to increase maybe at a slightly uh, slower pace over the course of the next few months and um, will uh, outdo those prices going back to 2007 and that'll be the most expensive ever. Yeah, and that's a very frightening prospect for everybody. Uh, it sounds great when you're in a house and your mm. property price has gone high. It sounds great. It's not real money. But unfortunately for those struggling to try and get a property, for those looking to contend with the new mortgage rate rules and uh, the central bank rules and the different rates, and, you know, everyone's poised at the edge of their seat to see what happens with the recent interest rate rise. Will they put the 0.5% on? Will they wait and see what happens in September? September's only weeks away where they're expecting a further 0.25%. Mm. The other part, of course, is the deep season in everyone's mind is in an amazing country and an amazing banking system that told us for years we had to pay those rates of interest. And all of a sudden, miraculously, the 0.5% has been increased. They haven't had to pass on. <laughs> this is a remarkable, mm. remarkable yes, situation yes, to be in. That all of a sudden, mm. some magic wand has been waved somewhere and somebody hasn't passed on the 0.5%, mm. where we've been at a high rate for many, many years. So there's a combination of things yeah. that have come together, but supply and demand must be addressed with long-term leasing to give people certainty in relation to properties who may not want to buy, who want to be fluid and move on. And it needs to come in, but it needs to be radical. Like, did this carry on of having a Taoiseach tell a local authority or local mm. authorities, you're too slow? You move on and you sack them. You have to make the call and get this. This is an emergency. Get it done. An, yep. Get it done. All right, David. Always good to talk to you. Thank you for speaking to us today. Much appreciated. David Hall, CEO of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association, is the co-founder of iCare Housing. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Yeah, we know that Irish Water is uh, working on uh, flushing the pipes in Dundalk and it's been posing significant uh, problems uh, for people, but they have moved to assure you that the water is safe and is of drinking quality, although they do tell you to run your tap if it's brown and many people are... Uh, well used to brown water coming out of uh, the taps in recent weeks. Let's uh, return to Rory O'Murakou, Sinn Féin TD for Louda and East Mead because we spoke to you about this and the concerns you had on uh, the programme last week and uh, we've had an extensive response from Irish Water which uh, not only tells us that the water should be safe uh, but that there's plans for works to go on into the first few months, uh, the early half of next year. Yeah, look... You know what I mean? The only thing is, you know, they talk about some of... I really should start from the point of view of the problem is we've had, I suppose, multiple conversations over the last number of years about varying levels of flushing processes. Now, from my own interaction with them and from the answers you've got and I've got previously and hopefully the clarity I will get, I imagine, over the next week, is this flushing process that's now being carried out seems to be on a far um, 
which it, uh, seems to be to a greater degree. Mm. This must be accessing those places they couldn't access previously and all the rest of it. But the only thing is in relation to the questions and we spoke about uh, September 14th as being the date that was on their press release in relation to the flushings that would begin at the end of July. Um, and the problem is when you go through the list of areas that are named in that, it's did the part of Dundalk that I live in myself. As I say, it's everywhere from parts of the Dublin Road. Um, it deals with, let's say, Merhead no more Bay State. It deals with along the Alphonsus Road, like mm. from Green Acres back through. But it doesn't deal with a huge amount of um, other areas in Dundalk. And I'm just wondering, is this the centerpiece of the problem? I'm not a infrastructural engineer or anything like that. So I would just like to know, I would be a lot happier if this list contained some of those er other areas in Nundalk mm. or if we could be um, fully sure that this will deal with the issue. Because I, I went back through all the correspondence from Irish Water and the only, the only when they're talking about the flushing process, the only thing they spoke about was that, say, Black Rock and, you know, parts of Dermiskin that were being dealt with initially. And then this particular process, um, as I said, it's finishing on September 14th. But we would really, really like to see um, that this is going to deal with, you know, the entirety of the problem. And then accepting that there will be issues into the future um, and that there's a full-time resource that's basically being put in play to deal with that problem. And mm. then, like I said to you, I've looked for that wider conversation with what Irish Water called asset planning from the point of view of the long-term plans of replacing the pipes and, and all the rest of it. We know that there are multiple issues, you know, across this state in relation to here. Manganese, there seems to be an increase in the amount of manganese in the water anyway. There are particular scientific research to find out why that is the case. We know that there have been recent works in uh, Cavan Hill um, in relation to ensuring that they can catch and, and they know the percentages and what they're dealing with. And I imagine the know-how in relation to dealing with that issue, I'd like mm. to think, has improved. Um, I know that they were probably dealing with legacy issues. When I spoke to them previously, they would have talked about the tanks and the fact that there may have been still an element of you know manganese within them. So... It's it's that's the real clarity we're looking mm. for, and as I say, it's the old one of you're starting from a bad place on the basis of, for we've almost had different problems over the last number of years, but it's almost the same type of answer in relation to flushing, and there's an element of people are very aware of that. Mm. People are even aware of the flushing process that's on at the minute. They just want clarity that. Yeah. What well, we're doing now is going to deal with that. It's comprehensive enough that the works are comprehensive exactly. uh, enough to deal with the manganese. Uh, but then you're always going to have uh, the problem of the rusty pipes, aren't you? Oh yeah, no, no. The, you know, uh, until you in, in, until in you change until you change the pipes, you're going to have uh, th those problems. If, if mm. and if, but if we go back a number of years before we ever heard of manganese in relation to water problems, we had been dealing with what they termed sediment or iron oxide, uh, mm. and the fact that there were flushing processes and my understanding of it is you were chasing problems and probably in doing that you were dealing with a, you were probably dealing with it in certain areas and pushing it on to somewhere else 
and not dealing with it in a significant enough way. And they also would have said that themselves in the set. There were hard-to-access areas that they'd have to do a specific piece of work to ensure that the flushing process could actually deal with that. Mm. So between the rigs and jails, or sorry, the... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jigs and reels, even. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it looks like we are doing something on a more significant, as you say, comprehensive level. But where Irish water constantly fall down is that communications are terrible. Um, I would have sent you my initial answers that I got back, and like it was almost a one-line answer in relation to flushing. And you don't necessarily, in that over and back, get the complete answer you're looking for. Now, I met them, as I said, in the middle of June, and I have to say what they spoke about were the issues that we had. They spoke about the fact that the flushing process that they were going to engage now was going to be on a more comprehensive level and that there would be a full-time team in place. Mm. My problem is I do not have anything from them that states here is the entirety of Dundalk, and it's not only Dundalk. We've been dealing with these issues anywhere from Castle Bellingham right through to Hackball's Cross, mm. you know, mm. Sheila right at the border. So I'd like to think that we would get to the bottom of it, but I haven't been given a sufficient what, what amount about, of information by them yet. What about the water? Are you satisfied um, that it is safe to drink it? Uh, does it run clear? Uh, it's obviously murky and horrible when it comes out of uh, the tap, but does it run clear if you leave the tap on for a while? It depends. And like we're dealing with a situation, even if you, if you take it over the long run, where you will get people who will tell you, I have never had the issue but three doors down, even two doors down, they mm. have it all the time. We have had it, and it was particularly bad, as I say, yeah. over, let's say, the last fortnight. At the minute, I'm going to say it was reasonable this morning. Mm. Um, yeah, if you run it, sometimes it clears. Sometimes, but like for the last period, it yeah. didn't. It's a and bit confusing for people as well, isn't it? When they say, um, run it till it's clear, uh, it's perfectly safe, but if it doesn't run clear, you're probably advised not to drink it. 
that's what I was going to come back to. That's the answer that you got yourself. Yeah. In, in, in fairness, if something is safe, it is safe. It is fair enough, I suppose, you could point out that people mightn't want to, and like who would want to, as, as Sarah, a number of people would have told me on doors from one end of Dundalk to the other, I wouldn't drink that sludge, you know, would you drink it yourself, would you give it to your kid, would you, mm. you know, would you give it to an elderly uh, relative, whatever, when you wouldn't even touch it yourself. Mm. Um, so, so that's where people are in, in relation to that. Also, if we are talking about sediment and iron oxide and all the rest of it, I, I imagine that in of itself creates difficulty for certain people with, you know, certain ailments or, or difficulties with iron anyway. Yeah. So, 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 so that's separate. But look, they told them, they said themselves, do not drink it if when you run it, it doesn't clear. Well, that wouldn't fill anyone with any great level of confidence. No. Now, I'm very glad that they're saying it's safe, but what we really need to hear is that we have dealt with the problem. We now have a more significant plan for dealing with it into the future. And then, as I say, if I could, if I could guess what is the future plan long term. And look, people will accept that if we do a comprehensive flushing, that we deal with the majority of the issue. If there are issues into the future, that there are people or a team that are designated and ready to go and will clear it. That's absolutely sound. While there may also be a long-term plan in relation to replacements and, like I said, ensuring that the due diligence has been done, that we have mm. a fit-for-purpose system that can provide us with safe and secure water into the future, accepting the particular situation we've gone through at the minute. And again, I, I saw some worries in relation to the level reservoirs we're at. Now, I'd like to hope that... The huge level of rain we had last night probably went some of the way in relation to dealing with yeah. that particular I think, issue. I, I think we're going to get plenty of rain this week. I think there'll be plenty of rain on Thursday. Uh, maybe all right uh, come the weekend, uh, but uh, I don't know. I think there'll be plenty of water falling out of the sky in the coming weeks anyway. Rory, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, as always, for joining us today. That's Rory O'Murakou, Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, there's all sorts of things in all of uh, the papers about uh, Budget 23 and what to expect. Uh, a lot of it is being flagged, uh, kite flying, if you like to see what uh, the reaction is of people. There will be uh, undoubtedly a lot of things that are, are being reported now that will be announced on Budget Day. And one of them, according to the Irish Independent, is the prospect of a one-off double payment of the 35 euro a month household benefits package. Let's speak to Susan Shaw, who's CEO of the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament. A very good morning to you, Susan, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, that will be welcomed by, I think it's 484,000 people. Good morning, Michael. Very nice to talk to you too. I mean, yes, of course, the one-off payment would be welcome, but the reality is, it is just that, a one-off payment. And while no, nobody will say no to it, it's not going to, uh, in the long term, it's not going to adjust or affect how people are really managing day to day, week to week mm. on the state pension. So I think while it is, it's a welcome, it's, it's not the only, it's not a panacea for everything that's happening. 
No, of course not. Uh, and uh, but uh, I suppose uh, there's a, a number of things, uh, and it's the combination of uh, the different announcements uh, when we hear them all on the 27th of September that could make a difference to people, and that's how the budget will be tested uh, if it will help to tackle the cost of living. Uh, there's this talk then of a, a 15 euro increase uh, in all welfare payments. Well, the reality is currently at the moment that. If the government, to, to keep us at where we were last January, the government would need to be paying 22.80. That is just to bring us to where we were last January. It doesn't account for some of the more recent increases. So we, were, we would be saying 25 euro would be much more realistic to allow people not fall below the poverty line. Mm. Like for people living on a state pension, they would require that to ensure that they can actually not have to make choices, that they can heat their home and eat well. Yeah, it's a a funny thing. The Tax Strategy Group, uh, which published its recommendation or its options last week, uh, were putting the options in front of the government as to what uh, it could do with the 6.7 billion euro. uh, But it seems like the 20 euro that all groups have been calling for wasn't an option. No, no, they don't see it as an option. But I think that's in some sense I understand the concern around it it's the how do we continually maintain that but at the end of the day the long term cost if you don't is more if you have people like older people particularly the 70 plus are living in older homes that are at the low bear rating so therefore trying to keep those house, those homes damp mm. free do you know what I mean mm-hmm. well insulated people can't afford to do that so you have ill health then People can't afford to eat well. Again, it's not something that we can think, well, that's all right. As we age, we feel the cold slightly more. We don't recover as quickly uh, from infection or things that happen to us. Mm. So the bottom line is it may seem a prudent measure to say we can't maintain it, but you're going to spend it elsewhere. Okay, Uh, We have had uh, subsidies towards uh, fuel bills. Uh, I take it there could be more of uh, that that €35 uh, uh, boost for those who receive the household benefits package uh, will go to more people. This is a point that's been made in the paper this morning than uh, would receive it under the fuel allowances because it's more uh, universal. If you're over 70, you get it automatically, don't you? Well, the fuel, the fuel allowance, yes. But no, you don't get it autumn. Well, over 70, yes. The, the, the household over, benefits package. You do not get mm-hmm. the fuel mm-hmm. allowance. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we would be saying, they need to broaden that criteria for who can avail of it. Mm. Um, and, and they're also talking about a, a double payment as well, like the Christmas bonus. That seems uh, to be something that people can expect in October uh, on top of uh, the Christmas bonus. I think that it's welcome, given the reality of that we are likely to face more price increases. Mm. So trying to fill your tank, your oil tank, um, or heat, if depending on how you heat your home, those costs are not, they're, they're continuing to go up and the government are, are aware that that's an increasing cost. So if they're offering a double payment in October, which would allow uh, some, some leeway and then the Christmas bonus, it's very welcome. And I'm, it's good in one sense to hear that they are the reality of just how tough it is to manage on a state pension or on social welfare. Mm. That, that seems to be penetrating. 
Yeah. But I just don't know if it's the full grasp of it is there. Well, 15 euro sounds like a, a big increase, or it would under normal circumstances, or if you look at it in the context of it being three times uh, the amount uh, that it was increased last time round. Uh, but then if you put it into the perspective of the world that we're living in and the rise in the cost of living and uh, the rate that inflation is soaring at, uh, it really uh, pales into sig- in- insignificance. See, I think that's it, Michael. Mm. The starting point is what you have to look at that people are dependent on the whim of a government to say whether they get a five euro increase or not. Mm. The five euro never matched the current cost of living increases, even when we weren't so badly affected by how the world is is working at the moment. Mm. But at the end of the day, that five euro, I mean, there was two years when that five euro wasn't given. That's right. Uh, And Therefore, what all they're doing is catching up to where it should have been and not actually making allowances for these. So the the double packages every now and mm. again are very, very welcome. But okay, but I it. suppose you could argue as well that inflation was pretty stagnant uh, for many years uh, and uh, in the last year or so we've seen these huge increases. But we're seeing that reflected in everything. It's not just the cost of filling up your oil or uh, the uh, car for that matter. Uh, Daily Mail reported last week uh, that a shopping basket of staples, 15 staples, mm-hmm. uh, over the course of a year, the last year, now this is before we get into extra increases yeah uh, you're talking about uh, it being 1126 uh, euro more expensive to buy those 15 items over the course of a, a, a year it's an incredible increase it is and as you say that's not even allowing for what we've just hit like we regularly are listening to people who the bottom line is that they're shopping and every week they're seeing that one of the hardest things for me is that they're also beginning to shop in a way, there's always a section in every supermarket where it's the best before date is just gone or mm. just about to go and people are constantly now, every, most of our the members who shop in that, that bracket are saying to us, those, cent, those corners are empty now. Mm. They're just not there. Everybody is looking. To they're cleared them. out, yeah. Particularly if it's, if it's kind of staple like meat. And then it, it needs to be sort of that, that you have to be very early to get that. Mm. And that's that's frightening to think that as we move into our into our later years, or if you're I mean, I'm, the bottom line here, there's the solidarity in this. If you're a young family, a young mother, father trying to manage a family, they're in the same boat as well. And mm. I, that's the reality for us. Our, our members are not isolated and on their own. They are grandparents. They do understand how their grandkids are being affected. So they, they are clear that while we need it, so do other people. Mm. Well, you say meat, uh, take lamb uh, on, on its own. Uh, that's increased by 2.19 a yep. kilo, uh, which is 14.5%. Yep. Uh, and we're talking about increases uh, of 15 euro uh, on the pension. Which is not going to meet any. Well, you're talking about, what, 6%? But also things like bread, milk, mm. dairy. Like some of the staple things that you want people to be having in their diet so that they can stay well. Bread. All of that has Nearly 15% uh, an increase. Milk. You can go through everything. 21% for the price of milk. Uh, I have a price here from that article in the Daily Mail last week for margarine, 27.4%. I don't think I see butter on it. Uh, But er everything is just through the roof. Across the board. And the other thing too, I think, is that for many people living in a rural community, the cost of petrol or diesel Mm. is, like the car is, I'm 
fortunate enough that I have access to train and bus services. Not everybody has that, or on any kind of a regular basis. Mm. So therefore, it, trying to fill your car to make maybe a hospital appointment, or to say, I'm minding the grandkids today, I'm helping out, but the, the cost of me getting to them is now becoming prohibitive. Mm. And so I think there is, an, and like one of the recommendations from uh, the, the Pension Commission was that they need to start benchmarking the pension, that we're an outlier in Europe, that it needs, and uh, for a long time, the suggestion is that it will be benchmarked to a percentage of 34% of the national industrial wage. Yeah. So we've not even come in, that would be up around 40 euro if they were to come anywhere near to that. Mm. Never mind the cost of living piece. Yeah, well, uh, the truth of it seems to be that uh, as we go into the winter, the, all, the, the increases that we're seeing already are going to go through the roof, certainly oh, when it comes to energy. Yeah. And I think it's scary. And the thing, too, is that energy, the massive profits that are made, and they are talking about a windfall tax on some of the energy companies. But I'd be saying that needs to be ring-fenced then. That tax needs to be ring-fenced for the people most affected by that ongoing cost of increase. And also there needs to be some kind of a cap, we would say. You can't continue to have those and make massive, massive profits. Mm. Well, that's if we have energy. That's the other side of it. And that's Uh, it. mm, We're we're mm. reliant. Um, As our... It's been a reawakening, I suppose, across the board for the Mm. world. Look at where do we get our supplies and how dependent and who are we dependent on. Do you know what I mean? I think that's crucial. But at the end of the day... I think if the, if the companies are making those and we can do a tax that can help out with some of these costs that are going to be borne, um, then we need to think about that. Yeah, well, it could be a good winter for uh, the candlestick maker. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> wouldn't you hate to see it? Yeah, we haven't seen that I since the 1970s. Is, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, there'll be good news come the 27th of uh, September. Well, I think mm. one of the things is that... Uh, that, that there was a, a turn down in a turnaround in mm. AIB because of the massive mm. protests around it. I, there's a march around the, on the 24th of September in advance of the budget, mm-hmm. and I think people need to get out and support that and say enough is enough. You need to give us an adequate income. Mm. So we're calling on people to support the cost of coalition uh, and come out on the 24th of September and march and tell send your message strong to the government. Okay, well, I'm sure there will be some support uh, for that. The 24th of September, just before Budget Day on the 27th, that's the cost of living coalition uh, protests. Susan, uh, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed. Good to talk to you, Mike. Thank you, and you too, as always. Susan Shaw is CEO of the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament, uh, which is a a member of the Cost of Living Coalition. Paddy and Kells has been on the phone to us. Thanks for your call to the programme today, Paddy. He says it's amazing that the EU is buying beef from Brazil uh, and farmers here are being told that they'll have to stop producing beef uh, because uh, we badly uh, need to feed our families. He says the Brazilians don't care about climate change and what will end up happening is that we will be importing our beef. I think those questions should be asked of the Green Party. Thank you indeed, Paddy. Another call comes to us from Lorraine, who's in our D 
and she says, I'm working at a relatively well-paid job and I pay my way, but I'm very worried about the rise in the cost of living and how we as a household are going to manage. Everything is going up in price. Groceries, clothes, electricity, oil. The list is endless. There has to be some consideration for people in this budget, not just those who are dependent on welfare. It seems the harder you work, the more you are penalised. We're lucky that we have a mortgage. How people can afford to rent these days, I just don't know, says Lorraine. Thanks, Lorraine, for your call. Much appreciated. John in touch, saying he's a full-time landlord in Dublin for 20 years and many of my tenants don't want long-term leases. They're studying and they're working here for a few years. Why discriminate against them by suggesting a tax break for longer-term tenancies? They're a huge part of our economy. Thank you as well for that, John. Uh, On uh, the subject of dog fouling, uh, we'd read it in touch saying that anybody uh, who doesn't pick up after their dog uh, should uh, be penalised very stiffly. Tom in Navin asking us if we're trying to turn the station into Shinner FM. Thanks, Tom, for that. Um, presume uh, that uh, was because Darren O'Rourke was on talking about the hospital. Should say to you that uh, Minister Helen McEntee has been very. Uh, forthcoming and talking about the hospital but is on leave uh, and we had asked we asked Minister Damien English to talk about the hospital uh, and uh, Minister English is not uh, available to the programme uh, this week we asked Minister Thomas Byrne to talk to us about the hospital and Thomas Byrne I'm told reliably will be available to talk to you on the programme tomorrow morning about Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Margaret has been in touch and she says the more I hear about possible gagging orders and secrecy when it comes to this review of uh, the closing of Navin's A&D the more I wonder if we're living in a democracy we have some faceless unelected people doing the review all of them being paid by the taxpayer yet we're not told who they are or what exactly this review is about the words secrecy and democracy are the complete opposite of each other thanks Margaret uh, for your WhatsApp message a uh, no, that was a text message. We have a WhatsApp message that uh, I'm going to read out. If you're in Dramiskin, uh, this is an appeal to you. If you've seen a little dog called Poppy, it's a small golden terrier type dog with one eye, a pink collar, missing from Milltown, Dramiskin. Uh, Eilish has been onto us and she's desperately hoping that you'll get in touch if you've seen Poppy. Uh, and uh, I think we'd all appreciate that too. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's speculate a, a little bit more about Budget 23 or look at some of the speculation that's being reported in the papers. Uh, Father Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland, is on the line. A very good morning to you, Sean. Thanks as always for joining us on the programme. Michael, glad to be here as always. Can I ask you about uh, this kite that's being flown at the moment, uh, about the possibility of a new tax band, a band of 30% income tax? Uh, I would be very negative on this as the priority. Uh, I mean, it's something that you can do at some point, but in terms of uh, having a billion euro available for tax uh, reductions of one kind or another, that would not be the fairest way to do it. Why? Because nobody um, who is below the, um, the the ceiling at the moment for the 20% uh, band mm. would actually gain a cent from it. So 
uh, you'd have a situation where uh, about half the tax cases in the country would not benefit at all from that. So the money being given away in taxation, in tax breaks, in the budget would would go to the uh, to the top half of the tax mm. of the tax uh, cases that are out there. Uh, that that's what they call them in the revenue commissioners um, tax cases. And um, so what I would be recommending if you have money available uh, for taxation reductions in one form or other should be adjusting the bands uh, for the actual um, for the, 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 the actual amounts uh, that are uh, that are possible in this context that would mean that everybody would benefit almost everybody and for those who don't who wouldn't benefit from that I would put in also a, um, a, a making tax credits refundable in other words that people who don't benefit from the full value of their tax credits would in effect uh, benefit um, from the, the, at least getting the, ba- the balance uh, of what they are entitled to. There's one other way that government could act that would be fair, and that is to introduce tax credits. Now, they should be refundable tax credits, but that would mean that, if, for example, if you were to introduce a, a, tax, a tax credit of €1,000 or whatever, um, everybody in the system would benefit from the same amount. Now, that means that proportionately the people who are poorer are on lower income and lower paid, uh, they would benefit proportionately more than the better off. But the better off would receive the same amount of money in the gain as, as um, the, the poorer, whereas the 30% rate only goes to the top half of the, uh, of the, of the mm. distribution in the, of the tax cases. It would mean nothing for most people. It would mean nothing for at least half the people. Mm. They have to. It would, so you're right about. Sorry, you're right about it. Would mean nothing for most people mm. because I think the beneficiaries might total a million, uh, and so out of the population of whatever you know, mm. like there'd be an awful lot of people. The, the, the vast majority of people would not benefit, and uh, at least half the taxpayer, uh, the tax cases that they have wouldn't benefit at all from it. So in that case, that's uh, that's not the route to go. Mm. You, if you have money available, uh, two things need to provide. It needs to ensure that priority goes uh, to uh, those who have been hit most, mm. and all the research shows that people on low to middle incomes okay. have, have been, well, people on low incomes have been hit hardest by the cost of living surge that we have seen in recent months, and that therefore that's where it should be targeted. Mm. But if you want to give something to everybody, which the government what has about, what if you don't? What, what if you don't? <laughs> what if you don't want to give something to everybody? If you were a political strategist, yep. uh, and you were looking for support from the better off, mm-hmm. uh, would it be a good move? No, and I tell you why. Mm. Uh, because I think I think most people would subscribe to the value that uh, that we don't need a deeply divided two-tier society. Most people would uh, subscribe to the value that we shouldn't be widening the gap between the poorest and the rest of society, or between the low paid mm. and the rest of society. So uh, I think there's um, a serious like the, the, the even better like better off people. Uh, re- are, recognize that if you like that for example deeply divided two tier societies are bad for business mm. not just they're not just bad for the people who are suffering in them they're bad okay. for business well, I, for Leo business Bradker seems to be very keen uh, on the idea and I, I imagine Leo Bradker thinks it would be good for Fine Gael. He, he did say that if you were to introduce this 30% band you'd also have to do something for low earners 
I love this comment he makes about you have to do something for low earners. Now, he says there's a million euro available and we're going to give most of it in a 30% tax rate introduction of that, which goes to the top half. He doesn't make that comment, but I add it. And where is he going to get the balance for doing something? If you want to act fairly, do the same types of things I was talking about. And one other thing that might be done, and rather than give the thing in a tax cut, you might do this, and that is to to raise the minimum wage to the level of the living wage at twelve euro ninety. Not this strange <laughs> um, body that the, that government has, uh, that uh, uh, the Danish's department has published recently, where they have something like twelve twelve or something an hour. Uh, was very. They are predicting all sorts of things that are going to happen to inflation and wages and all sorts of things mm-hmm. in the next several years. And I don't. I think there must be the only people in the world that are doing uh, are, are chancing their arm at uh, predicting these kinds of uh, numbers at this stage because most people acknowledge, most economists would acknowledge that they basically have very little idea of where the inflation is going or where some of these issues are going that need to be addressed and that therefore they mm. need a flexible budget um, that is able to deal with that situation. Okay. Uh, you were calling for a 20 euro increase in welfare rates. Uh, it seems that uh, that's not an option. It's not a, an option that the tax strategy group looked at anyway. Well, let's be... <laughs> there's all sorts of nuances here, Michael. Mm. Like, they didn't consider uh, the 20 euro, which is interesting in itself. Uh, secondly, the government, uh, they, they, what they did do was they launched, uh, they, they looked at 15 euro as a possibility. Why they didn't look at 20 now uh, uh, surprises me. Why? Because 20 is what is required for people, for people on uh, the, the core social welfare rates to actually uh, maintain the value of the social welfare rate they actually have. But it was very interesting when the tax strategy group papers were published. Did you see the, I'm sure you did, and I'm sure your listeners are bright enough to see it as well. All across the national media, everywhere, the same comment was made, which which meant it was being given to reporters by government. And that is that this was the 15 euros, three times what was given last year. Mm -hmm. Well, two comments on that. First of all, what was given last year was a disgrace. And it disgraced the government because it was way below what it should have been. But more importantly, 15, it may be three times what was given last year, where only a fiver was given, following two years when there was no increase at all in core rates. Okay, mm-hmm. but even even when you if they if they were to give fifteen euro a week now in twenty budget twenty twenty three, it would mean that Ireland's the standard of living of Ireland's poorest people who have been the hardest hit in the uh, cost of living surge, they are going to see the stand their standard of living fall in twenty twenty three, and I would again say. If government were to do something like that, that would be a disgrace. I, I think most, like oh, the vast, vast majority of Irish people, do not want to see the poorest uh, who are struggling to make ends meet made even poorer next year. Okay. That's what 15 euro would do. If that was 15 euro in isolation, but they are talking about a raft of other things, it seems like the double payment of the household benefits package that we were talking about earlier on, a, a bonus, like a Christmas bonus in October perhaps, and 
possibly more than uh, in terms of meeting your bills like the 100 euro that we've got a, a couple of times uh, to all households. And these are all, would these, a lot of these would be welcome, some of them more than others, uh, of the suggestions that are out there. I mean, it's, it's difficult to keep track of all the kites that are flying at the moment. Mm. You should appreciate yourself. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the bottom line in it is this. Like, uh, poverty and addressing poverty is never about money. But it is always about money. Sorry, it is never just about money. Mm. But it is always about money. And unless the value of the uh, basic payment rises by 20 euro a week in 2023, we will see Ireland's poorest being made even poorer by direct government action. Now, that is some legacy to be leaving behind you uh, when you leave government, whenever that might be. Uh, so it, it seems to me that no government should should act, go, go that particular route. It's deeply divisive. It's, it's strengthening, or strengthening the two-tier society, the gap. It's widening the gap between the poorest and the rest of society. So, come on, let's, let's take a serious look at this. Uh, we have a situation, I think, where there's a lot of the discussion now is not being driven by the evidence. Our little bits of evidence are taken out of context and major issues are being ignored. Policy should be based on evidence. And the evidence is crystal clear. Everybody from the central bank to anybody else who's researching uh, these kinds of things at the, at the moment says that the poorest have taken the biggest hit in this car- surge in the cost of living. Therefore, that's the group that must be prioritized. That's the group that should be received, should, should get the, the, the priority cover, if you like. The, the, the basic principles, uh, the, so the, the measures taken should be guided by a principle that says the protection of the most vulnerable groups in our society is our priority. That should be the priority in the government, in the budget. And um, in, in, in reality, that would mean putting the money into to the welfare that we're talking about. It would also mean putting the in dealing with the infrastructure like social housing and, and uh, public transport, putting serious money in there and putting money into the services as well, like the the healthcare system and the, 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 the education and, and mm-hmm. uh, child care and, and services of that nature as well. Okay, Sean, uh, I'm sure we'll speak before the 27th of September, yeah, but uh, thank anytime. you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That Thanks, is Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, we're very much looking at uh, the prospect of a winter of discontent and industrial action on uh, the part of public sector workers. Uh, let's uh, speak now to Liz Farrell, who's the president of uh, the TUI, the Teachers' Union of Ireland. The TUI, like the other two teachers' unions, is to ballot its members, uh, and uh, there is the potential for this. Uh, industrial action to be taken by all public sector unions. Good morning to you, Liz, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. The talks broke down in June. Uh, The Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, uh, speaking to the Sunday Independent over the weekend, said uh, that the government is prepared to to offer a a, a better increase, uh, but uh, it won't match inflation and uh, they will require, the government that is, will require public sector unions to demonstrate some flexibility as well. Uh, Do you think your Members will be sufficiently flexible to uh, satisfy the government. 
Morning, Michael. How are you? It's nice to hear from you. Yeah, well, I suppose really uh, what you're asking me is a question about talks that broke down two months ago. So we've been waiting two months for an improved offer. So what we have said, and I just want to clarify that for your listeners, is is not simply that we're going to ballot, is that we are waiting for the talks and the outcome of those talks. And depending on the outcome, then we will either ballot on an improved pay deal or ballot then on an uh, or on a coordinated campaign mm. of industrial action with the other public sector unions. Mm. So, of course, um, we await the, the offer and we await to see what the public sector commit, uh, committee come back to us with. Would you be expecting increases in line with, uh, with in, in, I beg your pardon, in line with inflation? Well, to be honest, Michael, it's not for me to do the negotiations on air. So um, I am going to await what comes out and the outcome of those talks that we have waited patiently for since the end of June, uh, almost two months ago, when the talks broke down. So it's not really for me to negotiate on air the position of our members. Mm. Okay, uh, but we could be looking at uh, strike action right across the public sector. We, we could be looking at a coordinated campaign of industrial action indeed. However, we, we, we could be looking at the opposite. And I think that everybody is hopeful that an improved offer will be made and that will avoid the industrial unrest. And I mean, that's absolutely our position. That's where we are. We await with bated breath an improved offer because none of us wants to be in this position. However, we're in this position and we're in the position and our members are feeling it. And I know everybody has heard this all over the country and they're tired listening to it but everybody is feeling the pain but none more so than our post-2011 members who started the profession uh, post-2011 obviously the gay discrimination has meant that they feel the spiralling cost in a much more acute way they've rising rents fuel, energy, childcare not to mention the housing crisis and that's led to where we are today with a recruitment and retention issue in all of our schools and a survey that we carried out only this year shows that uh, 65% of our post-2011 teachers, when they were firstly appointed, did not receive the full contract. So they're receiving hours, not jobs. I mean, it's just not sustainable. The situation was there pre-COVID. It's here now with the cost of living crisis that every member everywhere is feeling. And it's, it's just going to become worse in the future. Okay. Um, do you uh, know or do your members know what kind of increases they need? Is it possible to say that before the budget or can you talk about pay in isolation if the government is going to do a lot of the other things? Uh, I mean, it seems that there's going to be done, something done uh, in terms of tax, whether that's that 30% uh, rate or adjusting the tax bans, uh, which I'm sure would be of interest to your listeners or to your, to, to your members. And then, uh, I mean, if the things like uh, the uh, one-off measures uh, that will be on top of the 6.7 billion uh, budget uh, and that will see uh, measures taken to help people uh, to afford utility bills and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, we, we welcome we welcome any measure that helps people get through this. I mean, my, my members and, and the members of the TUI will decide if we go to ballot whether the, 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 what the minister has presented or what the Public Services Committee come out with ultimately is sufficient for them. And as regards the, the, the mooting of, of changes of taxes, I mean, I think realistically, we, we can't operate in the hypothetical like the cost of living crisis is upon us 
and look, we all know last year, last week it reached a 38 year uh, yeah. high. So, I mean, TUI is going to deal with the reality, and the reality is that promises of a September budget and what may happen is not. I mean, we want we want to negotiate through the Public Services Committee an improved pay agreement now and let's let's just remember that uh, the we, the uh, the members that I represent got one percent in October of last year mm. and and that is I mean up to that they had been getting pay restoration as on foot of the financial crisis mm. so these are people who really really have have done Trojan work for the last 10 11 12 years and have seen absolutely their wages just just making the cost of living their their way of living just less sustainable in every possible way. So uh, I think we, we need to do something about that. That 1% uh, was part of uh, the building momentum uh, agreement yeah. uh, and there would have been another 1%, uh, that's 2%. Add the 5%, uh, which is the figure that the uh, talk broke down on over the two years. That's a total of 7% over two years. Had you been offered that uh, last October, uh, you'd have been very happy uh, with an increase like that. Uh, if, for example, you're offered 10% over two years this time around, uh, that might seem uh, good, all well and good going into the autumn, but come uh, next winter, it, it may uh, just fizzle away. Yeah, but I just want to clarify there, Michael, that the, the 5% that you were talking about is any, uh, a further addition to the agreement. So, I mean, if we had been offered last October, I mean, things would have been very difficult, but nobody realised last October that this is the situation mm. that we were in. I mean, we signed up to the agreement. The, the, the uh, Public Services Committee triggered the, the review clause and we have been waiting. I mean, we had a motion from our own Congress in April of this year that, that said, and, and all I'm doing and all the TUI is doing and all the executive members are doing is basically reiterating and restating the position that we took in April of this year. That we, we need, we need a, a new agreement, we need something that is sustainable for our members. Okay. Uh, do you uh, believe the talks are, are going to resume uh, shortly? Uh, the Irish Times is reporting today uh, that they could take place before the budget? Well, it, it would be very useful if they took place before the budget and we would hope that they do. Okay. Uh, have you any thoughts on um, this story as well uh, that a number of uh, unqualified trainee teachers have been marking state exams? Yeah, no, I, I heard that and uh, I read the article with interest. Um, I suppose we, we've got to remember here that, uh, that a lot of those those unqualified, which sounds it's quite disingenuous in some ways, but uh, our PME students are involved and kept our schools open during COVID. They did incredible work and they, they managed to keep schools open during COVID. They, they helped with the substitution supervision crisis that we had. Uh, they, they, like I am a teacher in a school. I have my own Leaving Cert class. The PME students that work alongside me, they work, they teach, they correct in the very same way as I do. So I, I think that uh, PME students get involved in corrections is, is, is great. I think there may have been a difficulty with some of the more experienced examiners this year who maybe felt that after the difficulties of the previous two years 
that it, it was just too big a task to take on in some ways. It is an onerous, uh, difficult and and wonderful experience as somebody who's done it. And I will tell you that the TUI um, would always, you know, advocate for and help out the SEC in any way possible. And um, the, the, the SEC is a wonderful and transparent body. And as somebody who has corrected exams, I know that they will absolutely look over, oversee and ensure the integrity of the examinations, regardless of who is correcting them. Very good. It poses no problems for the union. Well, I mean, I don't know what you mean by it poses no problems for the union. We have PME members, yeah. so it's, it's actually, I mean, they are people that we represent and we absolutely, I mean, the, the representatives of the, the PMEs in all the colleges, we go in, we speak to them and we work with them and we support them in any way we possibly can. Okay, Liz, thank you indeed for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Liz Farrell, President of the TUI, the Teachers Union of Ireland. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme. Tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.